Exodus chapter 4, about verse starting in verse 18. And we're going to see the Bible says, And Moses went and returned to Jethro his father-in-law, and said unto him, Let me go, I pray thee, and return unto my brethren, which are in Egypt, and see whether they be yet alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said unto Moses and Midian, Go return into Egypt, for all the men are dead which sought thy life. And Moses took his wife and his sons and set them upon an ass, and returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. See, it's not Moses' rod anymore, it's God's rod. God had given it to him. And the Lord said unto Moses, When thou goest to return into Egypt, See that thou do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in thine hand, but I will harden his heart, that he shall not let the people go. And thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. This is what God told Moses to tell Pharaoh. And one thing that you'll learn about God before God drops the hammer on you, He's going to tell you exactly what He's going to do, so there's no mistake. And so He tells Moses to tell Pharaoh, And I say unto thee, Let my people go, that he may serve me. And if thou refuse to let him go, behold, I'll slay thy son, even thy firstborn. And that's why it got to that part. God's telling Moses there's going to be opposition, but here's where I'm going to get to today before we can ever get to Egypt, before we can ever get actually going in ministry, there's going to be a process that the Bible talks about called sanctification. And it starts in this next verse 24. And he says, And it came to pass by the way in the inn that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at his feet and said, Surely a bloody husband art thou to me. So he let him go. Then she said, A bloody husband thou art because of the circumcision. And the Lord said unto Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. And he went and met him in the mount of God and kissed him. Let us pray this morning. Our gracious Father, we come. We thank you now. Lord, help us today. As we begin to preach the Word of God, uh, let the Holy Spirit speak through me. Let hearts be challenged today. And understand that there is a process where God begins to work in our lives to make us vessels fit and meet for the Master's use. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. I made a statement a couple of weeks back that God does not call the qualified, but He qualifies the called. And one of the things that we will learn about in Exodus is you will see these three words, they will repeat themselves. Uh, or we'll see the word, or we'll see the type, we'll see the picture, which is going to be justification, then it's going to see sanctification, and then we'll see justification. And it is a picture of what happens in the life of a believer when they get saved. Justification. Just as if I had not sinned, God cleanses you, God saves you. But then you go into sanctification where God begins to work and to do mighty things in your life. And God is bringing you uh, along a, a path or a journey of holiness 
because he wants to make you a vessel that is fit to be used by the master. And then, of course, glorification is when we go home to be with Christ. So the journey through Exodus here, it began with the birth of Moses. We talked about that. Seeds of Faith was the title to that message where uh, people, it is important how we raise our children. It's so very important that the ages between one and six that the seed of faith is planted in our children. And I was thinking about this today. I think why so many times our children become train wrecks, it's not because we didn't have enough rules for them in the home. It's not because we didn't provide enough for them when they was in the home. It's because we have never taught them how to have a relationship with Christ. I should get an amen on that. We have failed to teach our children... How to have a relationship with Christ. What do you do, moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas? You have a problem you're dealing with in life. There's something that you don't know. What do you do? I hope you go to God in prayer. I hope you begin to go to Christ in prayer and begin to pray about that thing and asking God to give you light on the decision you're going to have to make. Your children need to know how to do that. They've not lived as much life as you have. And they need to know where to go to get some answers from God. And if you've never developed a relationship in their life and taught them and brought them to Christ and said, this is God, this is how we communicate, this is how we worship, this is how we get in touch with God, and then bring them into the house of God and get them familiar with that process because they're going to have a lot of questions and they're going to need to learn how to go to God to get those answers. Seeds of faith. It's important. Then we got into discovering your life mission. Everybody has been saved and born again to serve in some capacity in the local New Testament church. And then last week we preached on tooled for the job. Every one of us in here has a gift that's been given to us by God and we're going to have a special place. We have a certain tool set. We're a pro in some area of service in the local church. We were talking about that in membership class this morning. It's going on. We're in our third week. We got one more week and then we'll have a graduate. You say, well, I want to to get on that. Then you get with me and we'll fire it up again. And we'll go through this just four-week orientation. Why is it helps you find the will of God? Like, I want to be part of this. I didn't know this was the strategy. I didn't know this was the purpose. I didn't know this is what we did. I didn't really understand. That's what church membership was about. It's involvement, family, and then working together to please God. Tooled for the ministry. But then this week... God qualifies the called. And let me throw this in here. Because a lot of people spend some time in their life saying, I'm just not qualified. I'm not good enough. Remember, Moses is a murderer. Moses killed an Egyptian. God's still using him. Remember Noah. Noah was a drunk. Noah got drunk. He's like, well, I didn't know that. I mean, yeah, he had some problems. Remember King David? King David stole another man's wife and then had her husband killed. But yet God said he's a man after my own heart. Then you get into the Apostle Paul. 
who was a church persecutor, a harsh fellow. Many of the churches he preached in after he got saved was the same churches that he was sneaking into, dragging people out and having them killed. And God used him. So God is going to qualify the called. And he's going to begin to do a work in the life of Moses. God, he wants us to be clean vessels for his use. A vessel of honor. This is what the Bible says. And I'm going to give you some scripture this morning just to make sure you understand I'm not off base. Because the subject that I'm going to preach on is good, good old-fashioned sanctification. means set aside. Uh, you've heard me say it like this. If you're a Christian, you need to look like a Christian, act like a Christian, smell like a Christian, go where Christians go. Uh, don't live with the devil expecting God to pay the rent on that thing. And so the Bible says this, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having his seal... The Lord knoweth them that are His, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. If you're saved, <laughs> then you need to depart from iniquity. But in a great house, they're not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor, some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the Master's use. And prepared unto every good work. God wants to prepare us for the work of the ministry. God wants to prepare us for the ministry of reconciliation. For the ministry of evangelism. It's not all about laying around doing nothing. Going to Dollywoods, riding rides. You knew I had to throw that in there. It just come flying through. It's a bird of thought. Laying around and doing nothing but pleasing yourself and nothing, not telling anybody about Jesus or that eternity's coming. God wants us to work for Him. So the first thing I want to show you here is God has called Him to the ministry. And you could say this preceded uh, the call to ministry as the call of salvation. He got saved. He had that seed of faith. And then God calls him to the ministry. And then God tools him for the ministry. But yet along this journey, God begins to work in his life. And it's that word we call sanctification. Before we get there, he makes this calling public. He makes this calling public there in verse 18. And here's why it's good that when God calls you to something, don't keep it a secret. People keep the calling of God a secret because they don't want to be accountable. Or if it goes sideways, they can always deny they were called. God wants you to make it public. And that, why is it? Because it brings about accountability. What God wants you to do. It's accountability. Now you have to do it because everybody knows about it. They might ask questions. And we're accountable to one another. But then you need to make the call public because of responsibility. We're assuming our role in Christ. We're being a giver, not a taker. 
And we're saved to serve, not sit. A lot of God's children never grow out of the teen years. You know about teens, don't you? Teens get about 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. You're thinking they should be getting serious about leaving home and starting life and starting careers and start earning their own way. But all of a sudden you got a late bloomer and they just want to lay around and eat your food and play video games all day and do nothing. They don't want to go to work except when they want to. That's a teen who never got out of the teen years. He's childish and he's not grabbed a hold. And I'm going to tell you, we got a bunch of Christians like that that are spiritually immature. And God said, quit you like men, grow up, get a grip and go to work to pay those spiritual bills. But it's going to take some sanctification. Going to take some responsibility on your part. But then God begins to teach Moses, this will be the second time God has warned Moses that there is opposition coming from Pharaoh. There is a devil. And you need to know this, Christian. You need to know this, that there is a devil. And he hates God. And he hates the children of God. And he is anti-Christ. We're seeing that grow in this country more and more. We have people that don't want to recognize God's existence. They don't care about pleasing God. They just want to please themselves and their woke ideology. And it's out of the pit of hell. There's more demon possession today than ever before. And it's getting harder and harder to live as a Christian. But we need to be aware that there's going to be opposition. There is opposition. And the devil, he's going to oppose God's work. The devil's going to oppose God's message. And the devil is going to definitely oppose God's messenger. There was a time in this church years back that I got a lot of spiritual oppression in the pulpit. I would literally go home after having preached Sunday morning like I'm doing now and be literally so exhausted I had to take a nap because of the spiritual opposition sitting in the pew. It's not that way anymore. It's very rare that I have problems or trouble or run into spiritual opposition preaching. I'm not saying it can never happen, but it's not like it used to be. But one of the things I learned real quick is that not everybody likes what God's going to do. And they're opposed. They're anti-Christ. You'll find them. Everybody's wanting to do one thing, then they'll be that one opposed. And they're opposed not because they're seeing something from God. They're opposed because they just want to be the devil's advocate. And... Go to Sermons Audio on that. I preached a message on that. On why, how wicked it is when you want to be the devil's advocate. You want to be a lawyer for the devil. He's our opposition. He's the enemy. Why would some child of God want to represent the devil in a church business meeting to plead his part? You're like, I mean, just think about that word. Spend some time meditating on that. Now, anytime somebody uses that tongue-in-cheekly, I always kind of just half grin to myself like, oh, don't get me started. <laughs> I'm feeling a preaching coming on. <laughs> There's opposition. But here's where I want to land this this morning. As Moses, God began to work in his life to teach him, now listen, to become a savior Sensitive vessel. A Savior-sensitive 
vessel. Not a seeker-sensitive. There's a lot of that going on. I said Savior-sensitive. In the house of God, and I, again, I was on this again in the teen class, in our membership class, on why uh, that I, I do what I do with the youth choir. Why do I want the youth choir to look, the girls look like girls, and the boys to look like boys, and to be decent, and to be modest, as the Bible says, because I'm trying to teach them how to be Savior-sensitive. That's how God would have them be. And you say, oh, I don't believe that. Have you read the Bible through? Have you ever studied the Old Testament and how God set it up originally? I generally get a bunch of no's on that. They tell me you're not actually an expert in anything until you've at least read 50 books on the subject. Not bad. <laughs> not bad. But yet we want to be worldly sensitive. We want to be seeker sensitive. We want to please the devil in our lives, but we don't want to be pleasing to God. And so God begins to put us through a process called sanctification. Learning to be a Savior-sensitive vessel. God uses sanctified vessels. Let me give you something to chew on. You would not serve a dirty cup to someone, right? If you invite company over... Are you going to give them a nasty, dirty, filthy cup that maybe you had an old protein shake in, you just didn't wash it out, and you're going to pour iced tea in that thing and serve it? Now, I know you wouldn't. Not even I would do that. Now, I might serve myself out of the coffee cup I drank with this morning if I can do it without Jenny seeing me. She don't like it when I do that. Get you a clean cup. Well, then we got to do more dishes. I don't care. It's dirty. <laughs> Well, God doesn't want to serve people out of a dirty vessel. God wants clean vessels, meat for the master's use. God has commanded us to be holy as he is holy. We need to be people that can live the message, not just preach the message. That's why I don't have a fat anonymous class going on on great weight loss. Do you imagine me being the head of the biggest loser? I mean fat, not the other one. I, can, I, I would do great as the biggest loser as in loser loser. But I'm talking about weight. And by the way, the doctor said I had to eat to take my medicine because I got monia. I know that horse is dead. I call it monia because she told me I didn't have pneumonia. I had the pre-stages to it. And so my mind, then I've got half pneumonia, which I would call monia. <laughs> Jen says, you're silly. I said, but I got medicine. She said, so they give medicine to all kinds of people who ain't sick. I said, then kiss me. She says, absolutely not. I don't want to get sick. Gotcha. <laughs> I'm sick with the monia. And then she had me out the other day cooking in the rain. Oh, yeah, I told you I'd tell on you. I told you, I told you. <laughs> and I was wheezing. <laughs> like, I'm doing a lot better. I feel so much better than I did last Sunday. I'm happy. You know, I was like, man, I'm just glad to be in the house of the Lord, you know, uh, and without a bunch of drainage and stuff going on. Amen. But we need to be able to live our message. Not just preach it. 
90% of what you teach is in what people see in you. That's the stat. 90% of what you teach to people is in what they see in you. Now, we find here in verse 24, it'll be the whole house. Now, I'm going to get on some probably some sacred ground, not with you guys, because you, you've been around me for 10 years, on some preachers. You know I'm a little hard on preachers. And we seem to have a rash of preachers, pastors, that they're called to the ministry, but their wife, she don't want no part of it. And their kids, they don't want no part of it. And right here we're seeing... That God called Moses, and the Bible says that a husband or wife are one flesh. And so your calling's going to pull over into her calling. There's a place for her for your calling to the ministry. And we see this begin to play out. And this is really important when you begin to look for a man who should, would make a good pastor. And 1 Timothy chapter 3, he said he should be able to rule well his own house. So it ain't just him. And let me put it to you like this. This is what I thought about this week. It's my opinion, but I believe I'd be right on that with using the scripture that when you have a man like that where his wife is not with him in ministry, he's trying to preach uh, Christian values and she's a rip. He's trying to preach about faithfulness in church and she never comes. It's like a man trying to operate as a stroke patient. You got a right side of your mind and a left side. And generally, when you have a stroke, one of those sides of the brain malfunctions, right? Well, the Bible says a husband and wife is one flesh. So if you make up one side, she's making up the other side. That's what makes a hole in God's eyes. And if she's going to refuse, then you're 50% less effective for God in what you do. And when it comes to pastoring, He's telling God's people, you see, it's not a di about a dictatorship. It's not about me coming in here and saying, oh, yeah, by the way, you know, God spoke to me. And then you all got, oh, oh, really? What would he say? God speaks to all of us through the book. And the Bible says, you need a good pastor? Make sure his whole house is with him. And we're talking about ones that are living at home. Is his wife with him? How she think about it? And I've told you all, you're looking for a pastor, somebody's looking for a pastor, you might want to interview the wife. Everybody wants to interview the pastor, the man. You might want to interview the wife. Why? Is she going to preach? No. You want to know, is she being treated right? See, I've learned this in 10 years. Sometimes what you see in public is not what you're seeing behind closed doors. Somehow people turn into monsters. And preachers are notorious for it. And so God begins to work in the life of Moses. Now the Bible was clear that every male child that was going to take part of the Abrahamic covenant was to be circumcised. Genesis 17 verse 4. And the uncircumcised man-child whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken... My covenant. And so Gershom had not taken part of that ritual. 
And Moses is getting ready to go down there. Circumcision is going to play a role because he incorporates it into the law. It was part of what was going on in the Old Testament. And it speaks of sanctification. That's what it's picturing, folks. It's cutting away of the dead flesh. Of the filth of the flesh. To become a vessel of honor for God. You're going to cut away the world. See, nobody wants to talk about that. Now, there's a couple of ways to look at this. And we see in verse 24 that God meets their son and getting ready to kill him. Now, some theologians, commentators don't know, it was God had met Moses and was going to kill Moses. I don't believe that to be it because I believe the hymn is identified when Zipporah goes in there and does what she has to do. Because if God was going to kill Moses, they'd have never known what they was killing him for. But you get sobered up real quick when God takes it up with the person that's in the offense. I don't think it was Moses that was in the wrong here. And the Bible, and, and here's why I say that. The Bible says that Moses, there in Hebrews, that Moses was faithful in all his house. But here's what you don't know. Zipporah was not a Jew. She was a Midianite. Jethro was her father. And different cultures have different practices. And the practice of circumcision was for Abrahamic people. And I believe there was a point of contention here between the two. And I don't think Moses pushed the issue because he loved his wife as his own flesh. And I believe him to be gentle in dealing with her. So it was kind of a point. You, you all have been married. You, you, you know about that. And part of ruling well your own house is learning when you can push issues and when you can't push issues. That helps you for when you pastor. <laughs> Learning when you can push your certain issues and when you can't. <laughs> Why? Because you're trying to keep it together and get it to grow, not destroy it and blow it up. Oh, yeah, let's just get a divorce. Start over with a new group of people. Uh, that's not how God wants it to happen. <laughs> He's saying work it out, get along. Don't rule God out in this. So God comes now. This is Todd Gabbard thinking now. You, I'll, I'll give you the other view in a minute because you ladies might like that better. And I got to because I already told it to Jenny. And she liked the other view better. Because it, it put all the blame on Moses. And I said, but God said he was faithful. She says, yeah, and it was Zipporah that made him uphold that faithfulness. And I'll give it to you in a minute. But right now, the quickest way I know of to get a hold of a woman that has children is to threaten one of her kids or grandkids. I've come to learn that down here. Y'all southern ladies are cray cray when it comes to your kids and grandkids. I, yeah, amen, that's good. We need, to, we need to defend our children. And so I believe God begins to work in the heart of Zipporah and says, now look, Moses is going to go down there. I'm sanctified. He's saved. He's called. But you're going to have to step it up, young lady. And this boy, to line up scripturally, is going to have to be circumcised. And Zipporah said, uh-uh, I don't like it. He said, why do you say that? Because when God goes to kill her son, 
She rushes in there. She don't ask. She's not trying to, oh, I need to pray, find the will of God. What's going on? Oh, Lord, I don't know why the Lord spanked me. She goes in there and does what Moses had said needed to happen. She wouldn't let him. And then she comes out. You know how women are. They get mad. They throw the dish out at you and say, you're a bloody husband to me. You're a bloody husband. She was mad because God took his part. And she's going to have to walk the line or God's going to take him. Now, that's my rendition. And, of course, that makes the husband, the head of the house, look good. So I could be biased. Here's how my pastor preached I remember this. I was a kid. He says, no, what made Zipporah so upset was that Moses was supposed to have done that. And he procrastinated. And all the women said, Amen. Husbands are procrastinators. I guarantee you every husband in here has a honeydew list. A mile long. And what do we do? I'll get to that. Quit nagging me. I'll get around to that. We got all year. And one year turns into two years. Two years turns into three years. Four years and five years. And finally God says, I've had enough. And the help me that God had given Moses said, I'm going to go in and do the job for you. You're a bloody husband because you almost cost me my son. That works too. <laughs> and so you can take whatever view you want. There are some areas in the Word of God that you got to chew on. Here's the point. Sanctification's important. I don't care who was in the wrong. God said it's going to get done. And if Moses ain't going to do it, then Zipporah is going to get it done. Or if Moses wanted to do it and she says, uh-uh, over my dead body, God says, no problem, I'll take you up on that. I'll take your boy. And then if you're a chicken, you would say, well, God made Moses sick. I don't think so. I think there's more to it. Now, I'm being liberal in between the lines, but you can chew on that. The important point is that God takes sanctification serious. And he still takes sanctification serious. As he says over there in 1 Corinthians 11, so let a man examine himself. And he says, if a man won't examine himself, he said, the Lord said, I'll either make him sick, weak, or I'll take him out. Wow. Yeah, that's church age. First Corinthians. Church. Nobody wants to talk about it. This is a family thing. I believe Zipporah not to be sensitive to what God wanted. And she was more sensitive to her wants and wishes. I'm preaching it. And I'll preach it this way. When you preach it, you can preach it the other way. I'll give you the two views I got on that make pretty good sense. But God's word was to circumcise all the males. That's what God had commanded, and Moses knew that. Now here's where I'm going. I think mommy was having a problem stepping up for God. And you'll find that in relationship that one of the two parties, whether in today's age it's generally the man, that's having a problem stepping up for God. The woman wants to go in and say, no, I want to go, I want to I be 100% for God. And the man's like, I just want to do just enough to get by. You know, I don't want too much of this Jesus thing. You know, I want to be saved, but I don't want no more. I don't really want to change a whole lot. I got news for you. 
If you're saved and truly born again, you're going to change. That's how you know if God saved you or if you're trying to save yourself. When someone thinks they're saving themselves and their own faith is saving them, then there's never change. This process never takes off, never happens. I'll give you some scripture on that. So she got mad. But I believe God helped her sort it out. And he began to conform her to the image of Christ. He began to teach her how to be Savior-centered, sensitive. It's what God wanted. It wasn't about what Zipporah wanted. It wasn't about what Moses wanted to procrastinate on. What does God want? That should be a good principle in our church no matter what we do. Remember, God's the audience. It's got to bring glory and honor to Him no matter what we do. And I got news for you. Some weirdo playing a guitar with a bunch of long hair and a, and a demonic pentagram around his neck is not pleasing to God. I didn't say he couldn't get saved. I'm just saying he needs to learn some sanctification and God needs to work on him. You say, oh, I can't believe you'd say that. You've been a little too long in a woke society. You need to get back to the ways of God and how God lays it out and be Savior sensitive. What does God want? And I can hear people say, well, God's not said nothing to me about it. Have you read everything he has to say? Have you read everything he has to say? Well, no. Then how would you know? I'm telling you, it's in there. And there's a lot of it in there. I'm going to give you some. The Bible commands us in 1 Thessalonians 4 that every one of us should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. The ideal that God does not care about the outside. You've heard this. God's, well, God sees my heart only. He doesn't care what's on the outside. That's a big demonic doctrine going around today. And here's the verse they go to. And they take it out of context. Samuel's picking David to be the next king. And the older brother comes out. And Samuel looks at his older brother. And he says, man, surely this must be the man. Look at him. He's tall. He's big. He's tall, dark, and handsome. And God surely would look at him. God says, no, I can see his heart, and his heart's not right. No, he's not the one. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the heart. And everybody runs there and says, see, God doesn't care what's on the outside. That's not the context of that at all. God's saying, you as a human can only see the outside and that's one half of the coin you know the grass is always greenest greener on the other side it's generally over a septic tank what's lying beneath and god said i've kind of got under the grass it's looking real good there i've known people i won't say it (laughs) plant a garden over a leech line septic system and man it's just growing so good like oh it's so so awesome no it ain't (laughs) i wouldn't be eating that stuff Because God can see what's on the other side, down below the baseline. And God's saying it does matter what's on the outside, but it matters also what's on the inside. And the inside and the outside should match up. And if it don't, they're double-minded. And that's what he was saying about David's older brother. He's double-minded. He looks good on the outside, but he's a bag of bones on the inside. He's no good. God does care how we look. 
Romans 8, 28. Now you listen to this verse. Watch what happens when God saves you. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. We always claim that verse and like, anything good happens to me, it's got to be God. Yeah, that includes sanctification process too. He's going to work it all out to the good. You're like, well, I'm uncomfortable. Yeah, that's all good too. Because God's working on you. Well, I think God's about to kill me. That's good too. You can't just have cake and everything. You, you got to eat it all. He said, to them that are called according to this purpose, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. Now, what is the predetermined destination when God saves you? Don't read into that heaven and hell. He tells you right in the verse. He goes, for whom he did for no, he also did predestinate. You say, how do you know that? That next little word is to, T-O. Now, it has a meaning in the English language. It means direction. It means a, you're on a journey. If I told you, I'm going to go to the grocery store, to. It notes I'm leaving here, heading in a direction. But then I say, I'm going to go to Food City. Now you know my destination. And to denotes the journey. So for whom he did foreknow, them he also did predestinate. What's the destination? To be conformed, uh-oh, that's sanctification, to the image of his Son. Uh-oh, yeah. When God saves you, he begins a process that says the longer you live as a saved individual, if I've saved you, I'm going to bring you through an uncomfortable process called sanctification and you're going to continually be formed to the image of my Son. What did Jesus do? He submitted to God, took on the form of a servant, and was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. What did He tell the rich young ruler? He says, sell everything you got, come, take up the cross, and follow me. That's the image of Christ telling others that hell is coming and that judgment is coming after death and they need Jesus. That's being conformed to the image of God's Son. That's a process. And when God, when you get good old-fashioned Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost salvation, that change begins to go on on the inside and God makes you uncomfortable and He begins to change things in your life and you'll either change them or you'll take it out. I'll give you some scripture on that. Romans 12, 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Come, take up your cross. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world. He did not predestinate you to be conformed more to the image of this woke world. but to Christ, holy, acceptable. And you conformed by transformation, sanctification, it's another word for it, by the renewing of your mind. How do I do that, preacher? The Word of God. So that you may be able to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I didn't even know those verses were in the Bible, preacher. They are. There's a bunch of them. 
Let me give you a Philippians 1, 6 in closing. Jesus says, when I save a person, Philippians 1, 6 says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you, God does the saving, he will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Hence, someone wrote that wonderful song, he's still working on me. It takes a moment to get saved. It'll take a lifetime to grow in Christ. It's a continual journey. There's things I know about the Lord now I didn't know 10 years ago. We don't sit around and say, man, you know, huh, I was so wrong on God 10 years ago. You just grow and you move forward with God. Because God is transforming each one of us. If we'll be given to the Word of God, He's making us a vessel meet for the Master's use so He can use us in ministry. Hence, we get to the real crutch of the problem. People don't want to be used. Ah, uh, ah. Uh. It's like the rich young ruler. He went away very sorrowful because he was rich. Many times in the life of a person, there is one thing that they value more than God. And that in itself is idolatry. And he went away sorrowful. And that's when the Lord said it was easier for a, a camel to go through an eye of an needle than for a rich man to get saved. And what does he say about the Laodicean church, the church age we're in? They're rich, increased with goods, and they have need of nothing. Is God transforming you? Is God working on you? Are we better than Moses? God talked to Moses face to face. God used Moses in a mighty way. Matter of fact, Moses is coming back in the tribulation to do some more work for God. God really likes Moses. Now, if God did that to Moses and did that in his life, do you think he would do any less in our life? We need to be a vessel, meat, for the master's use. But if we can ever get to ministry crisis, we got to get to sanctification. Justification, glorification, sanctification, or glorification, sanctification. Exodus chapter 6, Moses takes that message to the people. Justification, sanctification, and the ultimate end is glorification. Exodus is a wonderful book. A lot in there that will help us. He said the things that were written aforetime, they're written for our learning. You want to get a good grip on God? Get a good grip on the Old Testament. You'll get a good grip on God. You want to be used of God? Then let God work His work in your life. Let Him begin to conform you and change you to the image of His Son. But be obedient, be submissive. Don't be like Zipporah. Now God got her sorted out. And the lady says, well, I kind of like the other version. That's fine. Then God got Moses sorted out. But either way, it got sorted. And they got past it. 
Don't let it come to that part. Get in there and say, Lord, whatever it is, you let me know, and I'll begin to cut it away. Cut it away so I can be a better vessel for you. Let us all stand this morning.